It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. The break is over and the legislature picked right back up where they left off. SB 20, the abortion bill that we have been talking about over the last few weeks on this podcast, was vetoed this past Saturday in a very public way. There was a rally out on Bicentennial Mall, and Governor Cooper, in front of about 2,000 pro-choice supporters, vetoed SB 20, setting up a veto override this week that began in the Senate. So on Monday evening, the Senate held a press conference to release their budget, which we'll talk about later. And Senator Berger announced at that press conference or shortly thereafter to media that the Senate would take it up on Tuesday. And this is important because the Senate has a rule in place where they have to give 24 hours notice before they vote on a veto override. So he said his office was giving that notice to Senate Minority Leader Dan Blue's office as they spoke. The debate on the veto override in the Senate was much different than the debate we saw when it was before the Senate as a conference report. You may remember that was a marathon session in which all 20 Senate Democrats spoke on the bill for around 10 minutes each. This time, the debate was limited to just a few legislators on each side, mainly the bill's sponsors. They were peppered with a few questions from Democrats, and Senate Republicans chose an interesting strategy in how to deal with what they saw, I believe, as loaded political questions. So at first, there were some answers to questions by bill sponsors, and then they stopped yielding to questions, except for Senator Michael Lee. Who took on just about all questions. There was a point where he had had enough. And if you know Senator Michael Lee, he is a very staid kind of senator. He's not one to be loud. He's not one to get emotional. And he doesn't really bring partisanship into a debate. But he seemed to have had enough. Uh, While he did answer some very technical questions around Mifepristone and its administration under this bill, at one point in an exchange with Senator Greg Meyer, he just said, look, this is not political theater, at least not for me, maybe for you. And I have a feeling, Senator, you're asking me questions you already know the answer to. If you have a question you don't understand parts of the bill, I'll be glad to talk to you. And at that point, he wasn't taking any more questions. It did lead to a shorter debate. And finally, the question was put before the Senate. And along party lines, 30 Republicans voting in favor of overriding the governor's veto, 20 Democrats voted no. Then the bill went back over to the House And the House debate, it's kind of the inverse of what happened two weeks ago. The Senate debate was really long, and the House debate was rather short because they'd had a long day of bills. But the House debate this time, it seemed that more Democrats were ready to speak on the bill. We heard very emotional floor speeches 
from Representative Ashton Clemens, Democrat out in Guilford County, Representative Diamond Staten Williams, a freshman Democrat from Cabarrus County. But in the end, the die was cast. There was a lot of attention being placed on Representative Ted Davis that day. You may remember he's the Republican who did not vote on the bill when it was in the conference report. And it had even given some indications to the media that he was still weighing the pros and cons of the bill. But when it came down to it, the Republicans had the supermajority, 72 votes. They all cast their vote in favor of overriding the veto. That includes Representative Davis. And all Democrats voted no. There was a lot of emotion in both chambers. Tensions are pretty high, still are. We'll talk about how that played out into the rest of the week. But uh, Speaker Tim Moore, with great pride, it appeared, stamped the bill as being overridden. He signed it. SB 20 is the law of North Carolina. Goes into effect July 1st. You might not know this, but the Senate was also releasing their budget this week. Yeah, so the Senate budget released, like I said, on Monday afternoon, Senate leaders held a press conference to go over the highlights of their budget proposal. Then on Tuesday morning, it was in Senate appropriations, and Senator Brent Jackson said, you know, this is the second stop of three stops on the budget process, so we're only at stop two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for people to remember, like this isn't the final plan. Like the House budget, there's still a lot of gaps as far as specificity in the Senate budget. We are going to see more money uh, specified and earmarked in this final conference report. The bill goes through the Senate process. It passes the Senate chamber on Wednesday and Thursday. You have to take a budget vote in two separate days. That was completed this morning in the Senate. By the way, we're recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon. It was noticeable that although tensions were high, a few Democrats voted in favor of the Senate budget. Seven of them. Yeah. By the way, I have always said this. I've been saying it for a while. I think it's smart when the minority party votes yes on that initial House budget and that initial Senate budget, because really, they're just rough drafts. You are then put in a place when they get to the conference report, Republicans are going to want a bipartisan vote. And if you're voting yes on those first drafts, it gives you an opportunity to get to that final round and have something to say positively or negatively behind closed doors. Republicans are more likely to deal with you if you were in support of that initial budget. You don't believe me. We could go back 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Representative Linda Johnson, now deceased, former Republican from Cabarrus County, she would vote in favor of the Democratic budgets because it got her on the conference report committee. Senator Richard Stevens, over on the Republican side, Wake County, he's now retired. He would vote yes on those Democratic budgets because it got him to the conference report. It's strategic, it's smart, and it's a way to affect what is going to be a final spending plan for the state. 
which, by the way, Senator Berger said it Monday night, he thought they would take about three weeks to go behind closed doors. And this is basically your budget writers at the top level. We call them big chairs. Then you got your subcommittees. We're looking at about a June 15th. That's, we're on track. We've been saying that for the last month or so. June 15th is when they want to bring that budget, put it on the House and Senate floor. By the way, conference report is not amendable. It is just something that comes out of that room and you vote yes or you vote no. On Wednesday afternoon, when the House came back into session, so the Senate's debating their budget, the House is also in session, they were taking up a bill that was controversial for some about vouchers. This was hotly debated Wednesday in the House. Representative Tricia Cotham is the main bill sponsor. By the way, we should point out that every Republican in the House signed on to the bill as either a primary sponsor or a co-sponsor. So the bill is on the floor, but there was a moment in the debate where things went south. So Representative Abe Jones, he represents Raleigh, downtown Raleigh. He was speaking on why he felt that money needed to stay in public schools. Representative Jones who is a, I don't know what they call it at Harvard, where you go twice, like here it's a double Tar Heel, but he went to undergrad and law school at Harvard. And he was talking about it on, in his floor debate, that he went to public schools. He went to Enloe yeah. High School. By the way, he was the first black student on the Enloe Student Council. Representative McNeely stands up, asked to be recognized, Ask if Representative Jones will yield to a question. Representative Jones says, yeah, I will yield to Representative McNeely. But then, Sky, a question came, a weird question. Should I just read his whole quote? Yeah. Entirety of the quote is, I understand that you went to public schools and you went to Harvard and Harvard Law. And the question, would you have been able to maybe achieve this if you were not an athlete or a minority or any of these things, but you were a student trapped in a school that the slowest... You know, in the wild, we'll say the slowest gazelle does not survive, but yet the herd moves at that pace. So the brightest child sometimes is held back in order. And at that point, he was cut off. By Representative Robert Reeves, the Democratic leader, asked to be recognized. Point of order, Mr. Speaker. Am I the only one who heard what Representative McNeely just said? That Representative Jones got into Harvard because he was black and an athlete. And from there... The speaker gavels down and suspends Representative McNeely, says, you are no longer recognized. Representative Reeves appears to walk off the House floor. We know that Speaker Moore left the speaker's chair, and I assume, now the video cameras aren't really showing a wide shot, so we're just kind of making some connections here. We do know Speaker Moore's gone. I would say for about a half hour, 45 minutes, they're off the floor. Sarah Stevens is in the chair presiding over the debate, which, by the way, at this point is getting really tense. And then the speaker comes back to the speaker's chair, recognizes Representative Jeff McNeely for a point of personal privilege. So we're in the middle of a debate, and he recognizes Representative McNeely and Representative McNeely gives what sounds like a very heartfelt 
apology, not only to Representative Jones, but he apologizes to everyone in the House, said that he was trying to make a point, he was trying to ask a question, it did not come out right, that happens to him a lot, he said, and he offered that apology. The debate continues on the voucher bill, which passes with uh, along party lines, except for Representative Shelley Willingham. He votes for the bill, so it's veto-proof. We think there were a lot of absences yesterday, but we do think it's veto-proof, and we think it's probably going to end up in the budget. But at the conclusion of the House session on Wednesday, Representative Abe Jones is then recognized for his point of personal privilege, and it was a very good do-politics-better moment by Representative Jones. He announced that he accepted his apology. He didn't think he meant anything ill of it and said he has guts enough to apologize to me. I have guts enough to accept it. So that was a great moment. However, waking up today, Thursday, and scrolling your Twitter feed, that became national news. Oh, yeah. MSNBC made a TikTok about it. The moment, at least the the question from Representative McNeely has gone viral. The apology, by the way, has not gone viral. And that's why we really want to underscore that there was an apology and an apology was accepted. Uh, Democrats took the opportunity to include this exchange between McNeely and Jones in a press release. And Representative Reeves still seems to be seething over this, and rightfully so. It was offensive. I also want to point out that yesterday, as the House was concluding, Speaker Tim Moore gave a eloquent admonition to all members of the House that they were to always exercise their debate in decorum, that they should not be taking personal shots at people, that they need to think about what they're saying. He says, you never have to apologize for being quiet, <laughs> you know, and I think that was uh, well done by Speaker Moore. He addressed this right away, not only after the question from Representative McNeely, but also in telling members of the House that he expects civility at all times. Also on Wednesday, after the Senate session ended, Senator Phil Berger made an announcement that the Senate would be taking up the House's sports gambling bill next week. You'll remember last biennium, this bill started in the Senate, goes over to the House, and fails by one vote. This year, the House set over a pretty comfortable margin of votes to get it over to the Senate. The big question is, does the Senate make any changes? Because we know the House did make a lot of changes to the bill in order to attract more votes. If they do make changes, are those changes going to be received by the House? That is yet to be seen, but next week will be a fun week to watch the sports wagering bill. So as we've been recording this today, there was a new candidacy announcement. Former state senator Ben Clark, who ran for Congress back in 2022, he announced today that he is running for lieutenant governor as a Democrat. He's joining uh, Senator Rachel Hunt, his former colleague in the General Assembly. She was in the House last biennium. So I'm on Dr. Bitzer's 
candidate listing, which is an Excel spreadsheet. And there are five confirmed Democrats that are running for lieutenant governor. So Rachel Hunt, Ben Clark, and then three others? Mm -hmm. Who are they? Del Monte Crawford, Chris Ray, and Raymond Smith. Okay. I think Raymond Smith is not in. I heard he's running for Goldsboro mayor, and that's going to take him out of that race, but we'll see. We also heard today that Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan is not running for re-election, and there's some rumors inside the building that he could be running for statewide office as either attorney general, lieutenant governor. I guess that remains to be seen. We'll see what's happening with Justice Morgan. Uh, By the way, that leaves an open seat for the Supreme Court in 2024. There is some speculation on Twitter that Governor Roy Cooper could run for that. Wow. This week we got to sit down with freshman Representative Jennifer Balcom. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Jennifer Balcom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and it's good to be here. Tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? Henderson County is just special to me because I grew up there. I was born and raised there. I've never lived anywhere else. So it's pretty close to my heart. My Mm -hmm. family was there. I'm the eighth generation to live there from my family. Um, So watching it grow, um, um, seeing all the things happen there, it's just become very special to me. It's, It's like home, pretty much. It's home and it's home is where the heart is Uh and you grew up on a farm I did grow up on a farm my family revolutionary war they gave out land part of our family received part of that where they had served and we've just kept it in our family the entire time I think we're don't quote me on this like 103 now years we've had that piece of property um it's dwindled a little bit we've donated some to the county for the rex um, the dana park and recreation that was donated by my family to the um henderson county dana fire department was founded by my grandfather Mm. so that is part of that little area and growing that up so we've still have about 220 to 50 acres Um, We bought some and added on, so we continue to um, grow it as much as possible. But yeah, still, still there. Um, Enjoyed it. We had apples. Okay. So we're the apple festival country, as most know, and we now have cattle. So my mom, (laughs) we have lots of different animals, but cattle is a big one for us. My stepfather is part of the Cattlemen's Association. He served as president of the area for a while. Uh, my mom has goats. She actually, on my way down here, was asking if I had any bottles. And I'm like, no, I don't. What's going on? She goes, I had two babies and from goats, and right. the mom passed away. And so she's having to feed on a bottle. And she was like, I'm running out. Do you have any? I was like, I do not, but sorry. Um, so we have probably about 200 goats and chickens. We have a big chickens. Um, she actually helps my son's school. They're going to pick them up. So they're in a what's called a brooder for when they 
they come out and then um, she's going by tomorrow to pick that up and give them where they stay and let the class grow them. So, or let, watch them while they're growing per se. So yeah, we're big involved, still part of that. And my family still does that. So. And growing up on a farm, you know something about hard work. Oh yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. My son has no idea. I'm pretty good, but um, I, I'm pretty lenient on my son, but it was, it was nothing for me to get up and take care of things before going to school. And then when we come home, and I played lots of sports. So even when I got home from sports, I still had homework. I still had to take care of things. Summer was interesting. A lot of my friends got to go play sports camps. Right. Well, for me, it was hay season. So we had to have hay completed before the rains for me to go. And that was my earning to pay for camps. So that, that's how it worked. If that wasn't done, I did not get to go. Um, and if I didn't work, I didn't go because that was the cost. Instead of being paid the uh, allowance to work, it was the payment for camps and things you needed for camps. So, yes, that, yeah. was, that was how it worked. Yeah. I had read an interview with you where they asked about your mom or they asked about your role model and you said your mom was your role model. It seems like you are very close to your mom. Talked to her on the way here and your family is all there. How has that relationship with your family developed? And also, what's the importance of your mom participating in your kids' lives while you're here in Raleigh? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so... Growing up, our whole family lived on the farm. So everybody worked on the farm. That was the family. So we were very close-knit. Every <laughs> holiday, you can only imagine. But on Sundays after church, uh, unusual story of how I met my husband, but every Sunday we had a Thanksgiving dinner, per se, after church. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday. Big spread. Big spread. You yeah. name it. And if it was your birthday, you got to call my aunt, and she would tell you. You would tell her what you wanted fixed, okay. what kind of cake. It was pretty much if it was your birthday, you got what you wanted wow. and what you wanted for dinner. So we grew up close knit. So everyone pitched in if we needed it. But the neighbors were our family. You got to think you grew up family were not only my family, the wards or the Capses, but you had the Nixes, the Lauders, the OMBs. Everybody lived nearby. And if someone needed something, you just walk next door and they come over and help. Hey, we've got hay to put up and we need your help. They would come over and help. Or we've got tons of beans that's got to be picked. Can You got anybody that can help? And us kids did that. You, mm -hmm. you didn't have as, I mean, you had workers, but us kids were expected to do those jobs. So when you're living, playing, and loving with your family, you, you grow very close because you're seeing each other every day mm -hmm. of your life. Mm -hmm. So you become close-knit. So with my mom, so a little backstory, my father left when I was three and she remarried um, until I was 10. He was killed in a boating accident. My brother was with him, but he lived. So it your, made us very close. Your stepfather. Yes, mm. yes. So we become very close at that point. Yeah. And my mom worked at GE. It was fairly new. She started there when she was 18. She worked at the Packland houses and then she went to work at GE. And when she worked at GE, basically it was for insurance, but she used that money to help keep our farm because we still had to work and we would have lost it. There's no way to pay taxes, continue mm -hmm. to have it. So she raised two kids on her own and kept the farm and she worked at the plant. So 
I worked three jobs and I went to school at night and my money went back to keeping the family and helping the farm. We just teamed together and everybody pitched in where we needed it. That that's what a family does. And that's, and that's how we got so close. Mm-hmm. How old was your brother when that happened? I was 10. He was eight. Wow. He was eight years old when that happened. It's a lot of loss for you within that well, and period. that same year, my mom's father passed away of cancer, and her her grandfather, my great-grandfather, also passed away. So she lost a lot of men in her life and almost lost her son all in one year. It was, yes. And you lost a lot of men in your yes, life. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Is that so. something you think about today as you're legislating? I um, I, I just think about how strong as a woman my mom has been to raise her kids and being there, family is a huge thing. And the family unit is a bit family values. If you know anything about me, (laughs) um, it's a big thing. And it's because I saw it in action and I saw how important it was. So that, that is just something that I, um, from my examples or what I do, it comes from basically growing up to know how important those things are because you can lose it in a second, in a second. second. So don't take it for granted. sounds like hard work defined a lot of who you were as a kid what kind of student were you yeah how did you balance all of that it was one of those things where you had to make time like I wanted to play sports if you want something hard enough you will find a way to make it happen if my grades were not good my mom nor my coach would allow me to play so the good part is throughout the year I had good coaches and I played every sport. So there was no time for me to not do well uh-huh. or it wasn't basketball or it wasn't softball or it wasn't track and it wasn't volleyball and I did marching band. So Goodness. all of that I did, I would not have gotten to do if my grades started slipping. So my mom knew how important that was and those come, those come. And I just, you, I learned time management. Uh-huh. If you think about it, like uh-huh. if, if I knew things had to be done and I wanted to really do something on the weekend and get out of something I knew how to make up the time get everything done so I could go to whatever I wanted to do on the weekend so and I wasn't going to leave my family high and dry so I worked very hard to make sure I got those things done so I could do what I wanted but most of the time the things I was doing on the farm and the things I did with my family were all things that I wanted to do it wasn't like you were having to now, don't get me wrong. Putting up hay is miserable, okay? <laughs> but for the most part, everything I was asked to do, I, I didn't mind doing and I enjoyed doing, except for maybe hay. Yeah. Um, that, that was about it. Yeah. Let's fast forward a little bit. You mentioned this earlier. The way you met your husband was a funny story. So how did you meet your husband? I was a vice president at a bank, and I had a gentleman walk in the door, and he was like, I want to open an account, but he was kind of rude, just be honest. Mm. He had mud all over his boots. He knocked him upside the desk, and I said, look, (laughs) I don't know if this is going to be a good fit for you. (laughs) And, you know, we were very friendly. Some of the rules we had was you were to greet someone within three steps of walking in the door. We look like Waffle House just on steroids. Um, Because I had 11 young ladies working or and young men working at my teller line. So everyone would greet you. And he was just like, bah humbug, even in the summer and winter. So I sat down with him and I just told him, I was like, look, I don't think we're going to be able to meet your needs. I don't think you're going to be satisfied. I just think that maybe you need to go bank elsewhere. Well, that was strange to him. And then it was to the point, no, I wanted to. And I want to at least give you a try. I said, okay, fine. So I did all that. He later had 
you know, and I would help him with different things that probably I should like, can you make this deposit? Like he would just walk in the door, drop it on the desk and walk out. And I thought, wow, okay. Um, and that was it for a while. Well, he had had someone pass away. So one day I got a call from him and this was very short. He had been maybe a month and he had asked me, can you do my payroll? I'm like, payroll? Uh, why? So he had had someone pass away. So he had to leave and he said, I've got to go out of town. Can you please do it? And he was actually desperately asking me. I said, okay, fine. I will help do your payroll. So I did payroll for him that Friday. Well, um, shortly after that, I totaled my car. And so one day he, there was a car sitting with keys. He had an extra vehicle. He was very kind because he knew I had a son, um, at the, my, my young, my oldest son at the time had a car seat, needed a place to drive. And it was just very difficult because I was taking all of my brother's kids to the same place every morning. So it was very nice to him. He let me borrow his car, but I didn't know that at the time I get there and the girls are like, Hey, that mean guy dropped off these keys for you. And I'm like, what, what mean guy? They're like the guy you did the payroll for a couple of weeks ago. He said you could borrow his car. And I'm like, borrow his car. I just don't feel comfortable borrowing someone's car. And finally he just, he, I told him, thank you, but that he probably need to come pick it up. And he said, no, please do. Thank you for doing the payroll for me. And I finally, I said, okay. So after a while, he kept asking me to go out. And I'm like, look, I'm a single mom. I'm a workaholic. I don't have time to date you. I don't, I don't have time for you. I'm sorry. And he harassed me a lot. So finally, one day I thought, okay, here's the trick. I said, you can go to church with me on a Sunday. I said, that is the only time I have. It's my family day that I give. And if you want to go, you need to be at my house by 1030. We go to Sunday school and we go to church. So I suggest she be there. Or I was hoping that would get rid of him. Uh He showed up like I was fixing to back out of my driveway and he showed up. So it was more those like, oh, I got to let him in the car. So he stopped. I let him in the car. And afterwards, of course, my family, all wanting to know him, is like, hey, come eat. You need to come out and eat with us. He comes and eats, and he's like, this is awesome. He didn't want to leave. He was like, Thanksgiving. (laughs) So every, we just started, that's how it hit off. He loved the uh, whole spread on Sundays. It reeled him in and sunk because it was all stomach. Like, it was great food. My family was very good cooks. I did not get that. I told him he was, I was set up for a failure because I'm not the cook. Mm -hmm. But um, that is kind of how that worked. He had to come to church with me before we started dating. And that was all I had to offer. And it just turned out really well. I have to assume that when he got to church, your whole family was there too, right? Oh yeah, most of them were. (laughs) So first date is actually your whole family. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's exactly. I just figured he would be so miserable he wouldn't come back. But it was that's not true. He he came back and stayed and we grew from there. It's wow. been a wonderful journey for us. How long have you been together? Um thirteen years this wow. year. Okay. So, yeah. So you're working at the bank. At what point do you think I'd like to run for office or get involved in politics. Were you politically active at this point? I had started. So when I was at the bank, I volunteered a lot because a lot of people's like, how did you even know what any of this was? So working at the bank, you were, you were involved in the community. So I sat on many, many boards, just volunteering and spending my time doing that. Well, and 
my son, my youngest son had started public school. And around the time in 2016, 15, we had a struggle with public school and I couldn't Mm -hmm. understand. I went to these schools. Why is this such a struggle? So I decided to really start looking at how we could fix that. How can I get involved to make a difference? And that's kind of where that started. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing was, is I saw how difficult it was for farmers to keep their land and seeing my mom struggle all those years is what can we do to make that easier? In 2018, I got involved with a women's club with the Republican party and I loved it. These women loved me. They, they took care of me. It was family again. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I got involved with them and then I started getting involved with the GOP in the county, started with a women's club, realized there's more, there's more here, got involved with the GOP. And in 2019, one of our, um, county commissioners, longtime county commissioner had passed away. Well, at that time, my mom had talked and I had talked about it and my grandfather was a county commissioner and our, and my great grandfather was served on the police force for over 38 years in our county. So they were very involved. And I, I wanted to run for a county commissioner. I thought, ooh, this is close to home. It helps me protect the people I love and where I grew up. I want to be involved. This is a good opportunity. It was a little different because you didn't run like a normal election. You run within your party. However, there was two other people that ran, and one of the other uh, candidates won. And I thought, okay. Maybe this is just not where I need to be. I'll just keep volunteering. So I got more involved in the GOP and more involved in the women's club. And then this opportunity came and I thought, wow, this is an opportunity to, and I sat down and talked to, um, this opportunity being the the, current seat you're in. Yes. The current seat I'm in because with Chuck Edwards moving to Congress, um, Representative T- uh, Moffat at the time, now Senator Moffat moving up. This seat was pretty open. And so I thought, who best to talk to than Representative Moffat at the time because he had had this seat. So I spoke with him. He saw the whole process when it played out with the county commissioner. And he, he had saw how much I had learned and grown from that point to this point and said, you would be perfect. And I thought, wait a minute, why don't I go to county commissioner and have them go? Well, they didn't want to, of course. I didn't know that aspect of it at the time. And so I I got involved and decided to run for this um, house seat mm-hmm. because I knew I could still make a difference. I could still be involved. And I still had the aspect of protecting and, and loving on my county still from this this area and and didn't know that I could without being a county commissioner at the time. So once I talked to Tim and or Senator Moffat, it it kind of started from there mm-hmm. and realized that this was the avenue I wanted to go. When we had our first meeting with you, you were talking about how you had been going through old budgets, you'd been reading all of this information, asking people some questions, some tough questions. Why did we do this? And I noticed last week after you, two weeks ago, after you presented a bill, you had a binder of information with you. You are a studier. Can you talk about how you approached the General Assembly? 
not knowing what to expect. I'll, I'll be honest. I was very intimidated by the fact that I did not know what to expect by this job. Usually you go to apply for a job. You have a list of all the job skills and duties mm-hmm. that you're going to be performed. Nobody could provide one of those for this particular job. So I was very nervous in doing that. So I started studying about the process. I think I quizzed poor Senator Moffat to death about what do you do with this? How does this work? I think he probably wanted to strangle me at some point with all the questions, but I just knew I could trust him and felt like he knew all the answers because he had already been here um, and done that. So Mm. I I highly respect the experience of anyone. So in that, that position I may be looking at. So I just started studying and I asked, Hey, what, what do you think would be beneficial for me to study? What do you think would be beneficial for me to learn? And one thing was just, it, whatever it is, make sure you read it and understand it and ask the questions. Find out what who the expert is in that particular topic. Go and ask them the questions. Um, if you don't know, do not be afraid to ask. And I'm not one of those. If I don't know, I'm telling you, I do not know. I'm going to have to find out. So I just started doing research and figuring out what's the best way to do this. I have two companies, so I know what it's like to run the company, have the organization, make sure everything's running like a machine. So once I figure that out, then I can pretty much get on board and start the process. And that's the process that I work per each bill or per what's going on. I kind of have to work it per week at this point. Um, because everything still seems to be new. Like every week, uh, there is something new to learn. Again, Sky referenced the three-ring binder. Someone would have a tough question for you, and the debate was pretty robust. And you would thumb your three-ring binder as if you had tagged that question, and you would flip it, and there you were. You had your notes in front of you. It was really impressive. Thank you. I um, So basically, I, it was a joke that Kay, uh, Kayla McNeely, that used to be the, um, uh, for Donald Trump. Press secretary. Thank you. Yes. I cannot think for yeah. title. So I learned from her from being prepared. I think the biggest thing is, is when you're not prepared to answer the hard questions. So basically, I did my study. I did the case that was ever brought up, any cases that were assigned from um, any state or any Supreme Court, especially on Title IX. Uh I had all of that in one area. I had um, uh, different aspects of law that was placed on any legislation that had been filed by any state when it was filed and if it had made it through, if it had high school and college, who had passed, who hadn't, who had gone back and amended. So I had it all based on states per Mm -hmm. in case one of those states in particular came up. So I had all of those. I had on any medical as far as procedures, how that, um, birth certificates, biological, I had all of that assigned with tabs. So basically (laughs) I'd labeled, hey, law versus this case number. And so when they brought that up in one of the committees on that case, I was like, ooh, I have that case. Uh So I flipped it to figure out what part of the case that they, because the reference was Title VII or Title IX, trying to make that clear. So I had the quotes from the um, Supreme Court Justice when he ruled on that. So I was able to clarify that did not pertain to Title IX, it was Title VII. So I just did my homework and created a binder just for that particular bill so i have a couple of those on some other bills so i can't wait until you become a chair of a committee 
This is going to be a great committee say, run still, efficiently. Yes, I, I am. I like being like that, but I'm still learning the whole process of sit down and be quiet, or if you can talk, ask permission, that kind of thing, and how that works. I'm still working on all that, the rules of the game. I don't see you being one that just is told to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Here. I'm I'm not. I'm very. Um, I, I, I'm try to be very respectful. It just hurts me so bad if I'm not because I want to make sure I'm following tradition. Is a, uh-huh. if you haven't noticed, it's very special to me. So I, I believe like that's that's how I, I want to come across because that's how I feel. So if I'm ever out of turn or something like that, I'm always like, oh, I need to ask for permission. Sorry. So I don't ever want that to happen I think I would just feel horrible and profusely apologize and cry in front of whoever it was if they thought that was how I felt about it but I don't think so just because I would apologize and be like I'm so sorry I don't Uh I'm still learning Um, but they've all everyone there has been very respectful and gracious and kind to even the new people trying to learn so I I, I don't think so, no. What's an aspect or your favorite part of the General Assembly? What's an aspect you enjoy? Working with others to get big things accomplished. Yeah. The knowledge, I love, I'm a learner. Like if you ever do those skill tests, uh, belief learning are some of mine. And I love learning the aspects of everyone has to bring to the table to make something work. So I've worked with uh, people who've been there for a while. I've worked with new legislators and I love learning the things they bring to the table Mm -hmm. to make whatever legislation we're doing important and um, how it affects everyone. So I've always looked at the aspect of, okay, how does this affect the person that's doing it, who's running it and, and who the end result is for how, where are the unintended consequences? And I would much rather do that before we put the bill out there. So I spent a lot of time in the background building the bill before putting the bill out. I don't mind constructive criticism. Actually, I love it because if it makes me do better, I'm willing to hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that's part of, and everyone pretty knows that they're, I'm like, hey, did you see, what did I do wrong? And they're just like, I didn't see anything wrong. I said, no, 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 I didn't do it. I think I've missed something, but what is it that I missed? So I don't mind asking, hey, help me be better at what I'm doing. I'm going to hazard a guess here and think that the negative would be that you're so far away from your family when session is in. We're recording this on a Monday afternoon Representative Balkum has just gotten out of the car. You've been in the car for what, four hours plus? Yes. It's a tough drive. It is. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've got to talk to the airport about getting a direct flight. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. I do miss my family. I, I wish if my family lived here, I would be in big trouble though, because uh-huh. then I'd spend all my time just working. I have a problem with that sometimes, but missing my family is the toughest. So my energy to get back on key on Monday is spending time with my family yeah. and see him and my husband and my, and my son. I, I, I love that time too. So it's nice. Like on Friday, I'm ready to go home and see them. I get all that put back into me. I feel mm-hmm. like I fill up like a gas tank. Like they yeah. fill me back up to come back down here on Monday to work really hard for them because I know I get to see them again on the weekend. We ask everyone on the podcast the magic wand question. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics, and that could be policy or 
procedure, what would it be? Because of who I am is probably more towards policy. And I'll lean this way because you just heard a lot of the history, but working towards more on aspects of farmland Mm -hmm. and preservation, that's just where my heart is Mm -hmm. and finding more tools for us to use to, to benefit that program. It's very, it's a tough one. It's tough to find where the balance is between private property rights and farms and knowing that this is a necessity for us to have food and eat. So I would say if I had a wand that I could just fix that, that would be where I waved it at. That that is exactly where I would put it just because that's, that's just something close to my heart that I'd want to work towards. And the small family farms feeling pressure from everywhere, right? Yes. It's, it's becoming harder and harder. Yeah. To, to do it because of the cost. And you yeah. can only imagine actually in this time of year and right now what's going on, it just seems to be more pressure on them. And, and people could just give up mm-hmm. if you love it and you grow up on it and you've done it for so long. It's where your heart is. You hang on through those tough times and, and push and push through, but it, it is becoming more easier just to, Hey, hand in the towel yeah. and have someone else try and do it. And I, it's discouraging for me to see, say that, but it's the truth. So have you found that community of farming legislators that I know you're on the ag committee, but, yes. but so, um, Jimmy Dixon yeah. is the whisper of everything. And there's a few people that you wouldn't think too, that know a lot about it that I've that I totally am encouraged by. So I work with different ones just because there's a lot I may not know about different types of farming. And a lot of the farmers in my area are, I'm always calling them if I'm not sure about something. So I have a great relationship with most of them there too. But yes, I do. I have a great relationship with um, Jimmy uh, McNeely, Jeff McNeely, Mm -hmm. uh, Representative McNeely. He's been wonderful. Um, actually everybody's wonderful. I really haven't found anyone who's not willing to help me anytime I ask. There is sort of a familial aspect about the General Assembly. Have you felt that there? Yes. Especially, I feel like it's a lot with the new mm-hmm. and then you kind of grow the bond on what people have in common with you and what you're learning. And I have a lot of different aspects. So I have the farming, I have the banking. My husband owns a construction company, we own an HVAC company. I have a son. So I have different aspects of people that are part of my family based on what we have in common and what's important to us. So yes, I, I would say in different realms, it is a family. Mm-hmm. And then all of us together feels like a family. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Representative Jennifer Balkum, we appreciate everything you do in the General Assembly. We appreciate your service in the House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I first met Representative Balkum just over a year ago. 
She was a fellow at the Institute of Political Leadership. And I teach some classes at the Institute, mainly on... A scholar. Yeah, you know. (laughs) She was then in the primary for this seat that she currently holds. I knew that she was going to make a mark. And sure enough, as soon as she gets into the house, she's quiet for about a minute. And then you start seeing the bills come out. And you see that she's top of the list on a lot of major priorities for the Republican leadership. But Representative Balkum, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Dawn Vaughn. She's at Dawn B. Vaughn on Twitter. And it says, I'm old enough to remember when the state budget was a lot of drama. (laughs) Because, and I said to you today, I keep forgetting that the Senate budget's even happening because everyone is talking about the override. Yeah. Same with crossover, too. Yeah. All these momentous moments at the General Assembly are being overshadowed by the other stuff. The abortion bill. I mean, basically, it just comes down to the abortion bill. Yeah. And crossover wasn't late, late this year. Yeah. I'm nostalgic for a lot of things. Uh, yeah, what are you old enough to remember? I remember when MTV actually played videos 24 hours. I'm <laughs> Now you turn on MTV and it's some reality show or something that, I don't know, just nut stuff. And uh, I remember Saturday morning cartoons. You'd wake up on Saturday And you would watch cartoons from the time you woke up with a box of cereal all the way until when American Bandstand came on and Soul Train. And then you got into the game of the week or something. I remember when there were only three networks on television. You would watch a show and the rest of America, at least a third, they were probably watching the same show. Now, I can't tell you the last time I watched network TV. It's now HBO Max or Netflix. Talk about nostalgia. That window that is across from the press room, Mm -hmm. there would be a clerk that worked in that room, and you would go up to the window, and you would say can I get a copy of this bill? Can I get a copy of that bill? And they would give you a copy. Now everything's online. It's a lot easier, by the way, than it used to be, especially around budget. Did you ride horses to the General Assembly then? (laughs) (laughs) No. I remember a group of lobbyists in between the House and the Senate, that fountain area where they have plants and stuff, I remember when Alex Miller, a lobbyist at the General Assembly, had just purchased an Apple iPhone. It was the first generation. We were all on Blackberries at that point, but I remember all of us gathering around as if he had discovered fire. It was, you know, like, it's glass. You just touch it. Anyway. When I was growing up, I thought it was like the ultimate 
level of success to have a blackberry like i never mm-hmm. had a blackberry and i just thought like all the important people had blackberries mm-hmm. you know so i thought i would have thought you were important not now that i know you but i would have thought that then <laughs> i missed the blackberry the one that looked like a typewriter mm-hmm. you know <laughs> you know that i when i was in <laughs> Fourth or fifth grade, I asked for a Palm Pilot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember those? Uh-huh. I was obsessed with this ad. So I found this one on eBay. So it was like secondhand or something. But I thought it was so cool. <laughs> and my parents were like, what do you need a Palm Pilot for? You know, And I was like, to put my schedule in. Uh-huh. And um, I would just use it and type on it. And we were sitting uh, crisscross applesauce in the library. And I would slide it between my legs to my best friend and we would talk back and forth (laughs) which i guess like kids now can just text yeah 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 i was watching a tv show the other day and they were portraying students in the 90s it's yellow jackets by the Uh way great show and they were passing notes to each other and i remember you would fold it up you know and then you'd pass Pass it Today, everything is text message, you know, or iWatch or whatever. It's, yeah. you know, I miss I miss getting handwritten notes, handwritten letters. I still give you those. You do. You're old school. You're an old soul, Sky. I know. What are you nostalgic for? I think everybody had this, like the Scholastic Book Fair. Mm. You know, you like really thought out. It, at our school, it was like three or four days. So you went each day. And what I would do is I'd go scope it out day one, day two, decide mm-hmm. what the things were that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a big reader as mm-hmm. a kid, big in the AR point system. <laughs> <laughs> Very nervous that I was going to lose yeah. the AR contest. And I still have my shirt in my closet right now that is embroidered and says I was the top AR reader. (laughs) And my life has really gone downhill from there. Yeah. I love the book fairs too. What is AR? Accelerated reader. Oh, Did you not have that? I think, yeah, I don't know. You read a book, it was worth so many points, then you took a test on it afterwards. So I would read one book every night and try to get the most points, obviously. Anyway, you also, we also had at our local Pizza Hut, where you would get like a book it certificate, mm-hmm. like you read so many books and you would get a free personal pan pizza. And you are talking to someone who worships <laughs> Pizza Hut. I love Pizza Hut. The best cheese sticks on the planet. No one out pizzas the hut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I worked at a Pizza Hut in college. No, I didn't know that. I loved Did it. Did it have a buffet? Good pan pizza. Yeah, we had a yeah, salad the bar. Buffet. Mm, chef's kiss yeah and it was a full service restaurant like pizza hut's changed they've turned into fast food yeah but back then you sat down your family you know the red and white checkered Mm -hmm. uh, you'd bring a pitcher of beer out Mm -hmm. and yeah i was a waiter and loved working there got good tips it was it was great but now pizza hut's like an extension of taco bell that's the other thing like all, all this change it just seems like it's just not as intimate. It's not as good. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What's gotten better? Name something that's gotten better. What's gotten better? I have to say that when something like crazy bad happens, I just know it's going to be hilarious on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not a good, that's probably not a good way to look at it, things. But, you know, when something like really wild is happening, I'm like, 
Twitter has got something to say about this or even like a sporting event, something funny happens. You go over to Twitter just to see what people are saying. That's true. Definitely more convenient having so much information at your disposal. So I'll watch a TV show. I'm like, where do I know this actress? And I'll tell Julie, hit pause. And look it up. I'll look it up. Oh, she was in Goonies or something like that. I remember her. I don't know what I did when I was younger. Did I just go, well, I don't know. I'll go look this up somewhere. But uh, or maybe I would just put it out of my mind. But it bothers me if I can't figure something out. But now, I mean, good gracious, Wikipedia. I love you. You're wonderful. Thank you. I just saw something the other day that said like, wasn't it crazy that we grew up where if you had a question, you just asked your parents, whatever they told you or whatever an adult told you, you were like, okay, took it to the bank, you know? (laughs) Now, if a kid asks you something and they don't believe you, they Google it immediately. Uh, Oh, yeah. And and show you up. Yeah, you're wrong. You're right. I just looked that up. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, kids are, they have so much information now. I mean, do they even go to the library anymore? When I was at UNCG, I remember going to the Jackson Library and you would check out 15 books, haul them back to your dorm because you were working on a research paper. Do they even do that? I doubt it. Because you could look up the same books online, you know? Yeah. This is something we need to ask your aunt because she's coming to town. She's a librarian. Yes. Where is she a librarian? In Eugene, Oregon, which is where the University of Oregon is. Well, we have a lot to ask her. Yeah, should have sent her here instead of to my house. (laughs) All right. Well, I am looking forward to hanging out with you next week at the Growler. Just one more (laughs) reminder. Wednesday. Yep. The Growler over at the corner of Person and... Jones Street over at the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. They're going to have plenty of beer from their members and wine and non-alcoholic drinks, and they will have a spread of food. Everyone in NC Poll is invited, legislators, lobbyists, staff, journalists. We hope to see you there. We're officially in the time where it's getting pretty hot outside. So we hope that you take this weekend to enjoy the outside before it becomes so humid that it's miserable. Get outside, talk to your family, maybe pass a note to somebody, and remember to do politics better.